Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Let us pray. Our Father, please bless the Word of God to us. We are recipients each week of the words of man in so many different realms, many of which are lies and deceits. So we ask for the truth to set us free this day and to bless us, for we have heard from the word of the Lord. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. One of the ways that some of the older theologians described Adam's relationship with God in the garden is, is really quite interesting to me. The, the Latin phrase is amicitia cum Deo, which means friendship with God. And so as they looked at Adam in the garden and tried to describe what was taking place, one of the predominant themes was that of friendship. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. God spoke to Adam. Adam communed with God. There was friendship. And I believe that's extremely important because if friendship is built into how we uh, commune with God, relate to God, you would expect friendship then to be an important aspect of how we relate to each other. And indeed it is. Uh, You will find that not only do Christians share in meaningful Friendships, but God in His goodness and His mercy allows non-Christians to form very deep bonds of friendship. If there are gifts in this world given to unbelievers that uh, really are quite remarkable in the way in which they make sometimes very good use of them, it is friendship. And I've witnessed this with my uh, own eyes, the deep bonds that can be formed between Uh, men, and also between women in terms of friendships. Now, friendships are an important part of who we are. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the 19th century American intellectual, actually has a rather remarkable way of describing a friend. He calls a friend uh, a masterpiece of nature. Um, my family and 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 I, we call each other uh, a real piece of work sometimes. You know, oh, you're a real piece of work. It's normally not a compliment, uh, but that's just how we speak. And sometimes I will say, uh, you know, uh, you know, how was your driving test, Katie? Oh, well, uh, he was a real piece of work. Uh, I have a new term now that we can use in our own family and with others. Uh, you are a real masterpiece of nature. And uh, that is uh, how friendship was coined by him. Uh, Aristotle was uh, 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 one who described friendship, and this goes way back to the most profound uh, intellectual that has ever existed outside of the Christian religion. And he says, a true friend is actually one soul in two bodies. That is the nature of true friendship. Now, I realize that not all friendships are the same. Friendships, to me, are are like concentric circles. You know how we talk about holiness, and people say, well, holiness means separateness, and that's like the etymology of it. But as you get to concentric circles, you know, you can have the holiness of of priests, you can have the holiness of, of, of God's people, you can have 
uh, the holiness of the Holy of Holies. You can have the holiness of, of Jesus Christ, the holiness of the Holy Spirit, of God. And, and these, these concentric circles, as you go out, it's, it's not as deep and, and powerful, but you still say they are holy. Children are called holy of believers. And I think the same is true with friends. Not all friends are the same. There are concentric circles. And there are some who we call friends that really are what might be better phrased acquaintances. And then you have uh, someone who you have to say, uh, oh, that person is actually a very dear friend of mine. Instead of just saying a friend of mine, you want to emphasize that they're actually very close to you. And then we will say uh, things like, this is my best friend and uh, I will not indulge in those uh, BFF things for you uh, child children out there, but people use that as well. My BFF. Uh, I don't like that, um, but that's personal. There's also friendships where our nature of our language and discourse changes from friend to friend. So there are some friends you can speak with in a certain way that you wouldn't speak with in other ways, and this is a gift of God. There's a friend who could say, to me, as he invariably does, are you in a humble spirit today? And I will know that he's about to tell me something where it's a little bit of a criticism, but it's not going to be too bad. Or uh, he could say to me, you know what, I have had it with you. This is the last time. And I won't get per- particularly perplexed. I'll be like, okay, what now? And he'll say something and I'll be move on. But if another friend were to text me and say, you know what, I've had it with you, I would probably have severe anxiety come over me because I know the nature of my friendship with that person doesn't allow for that type of mode of communication. I can say to someone, you're an idiot. And they could be like a very good friend of mine and it's, not, it's just part of how we talk to each other. Maybe we shouldn't be so mean to each other, but we say all sorts of nasty things to one another. And then there are others where it's, it's very polite and you just can't talk to them that way and that's just not who they are. So friendships are not sort of static things. They're not black and white issues of someone is a friend, someone is not a friend. There's all sorts of ways in which we experience relationships with people that are broadly termed friends. And things are a little more difficult today because of social media. I have like 7,000 friends on Facebook. Dear friends of mine. And uh, Facebook is for older people. If you're quickly approaching 43, you're older. But how many teenagers really express their friendships on Facebook and spend meaningful times? They don't. They stay away from Facebook because the last thing they want is grandma in England spying on them while they're saying something about this person is now in a relationship with this. Grandma then goes and tells auntie. Auntie tells the mom. And then the mom says to the dad, oh, did you know your daughter has a boyfriend? How? I never knew that. Well, actually, it's a long story. But grandma was spying on Facebook on her and found out and so on. So kids have now resorted to more private modes of communication. What do they do? Uh, What's your snap? And they have Snapchat and then they actually end up leaving the conversation to go and have the conversation and friendship while they're on their phone rather than face to face. I'm thankful that I grew up in the day where I didn't have vitamin D deficiency because I was on my phone all the time, locked away in my bedroom playing video games and not getting obese, but rather outside with my friends, sometimes fighting them. When was the last time one of you kids got in a good scrap 
I'm serious. We don't do that anymore. You know when you're playing a game of tennis and you say out and you win the game, he's like, that wasn't out. And then you're coming to blows and then you make up, you go home and there's maybe a bit of blood and who knows. That's the nature of, of growing up with real friends. But now people uh, have so many friends that they don't actually have any friends. And Proverbs actually guides us in this. And Proverbs, when it speaks about friendship, speaks generally in terms of same-sex friendships, in terms of uh, how we are to conduct ourselves as one another, but also it talks about it in such a way that these friendships are non-romantic but deeply meaningful. So notice in verse 24 of chapter 18, a man of many companions may come to ruin. May come to ruin. Not necessarily will come to ruin, but may come to ruin. As Aristotle said, he who has many friends has none. A man of many companions may come to ruin for this reason. If you have too many friends, it's hard to actually have any meaningful friends. And if you don't have any meaningful friends, as described in the book of Proverbs, you will come to ruin sooner or later because God gives us friends to keep us from ruin. So a man of many friends, ironically, is putting himself, or a woman of many friends, is putting herself in a precarious position. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is such a thing as a friend who is closer than a brother. There is such a thing as many companions, and they can bring harm. And there is such a thing as one companion, a true friend, who is closer than a brother, who can bring much comfort, delight, and help. And the book of Proverbs really unfolds what that person looks like. What does such a friend look like? Well, in chapter 27, verse 9, we are told that friends who are true friends give earnest counsel. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. Uh, Barb, when she came back, we flew from Copenhagen to London together. And then she went on from London Heathrow to, had to uh, get a ride from a friend of mine. We went to Gatwick to drop her off and... Uh, when I dropped her off and I had to go back to the airport that night, I went into the duty-free and I love going to the duty-free because Barb hates cologne and doesn't let me wear cologne at home because it makes her, her allergies go wild. So when Barb got on that plane and I was in duty-free, I walked around and thought, ah, this is it. There's the, all the nice cologne, you know, and Hugo Boss and this and that. Which one will I put on to help get me through this flight because of, you know, traveling, you don't always smell so good. So you spray a few things like cologne on, kill a few old ladies, and away we go. And there's hundreds of bottles there to pick from. So maybe we think this is just, you know, not such a big deal. But actually, in the ancient world, you didn't have the duty-free, where you could go and put testers on and all those types of things. The truth is, oil and perfume were exceedingly rare and also extremely expensive. They were, they were commodities that were precious. 
And so friendship is likened to that when the friendship is built upon earnest counsel. That is, sincere and serious counsel. Someone that you can talk with in a deeply meaningful way. Because most of our conversations with people is not deeply meaningful. It's the weather. It's perhaps a little deeper than that. It's the local football or hockey team or whatever it is. We are not comfortable with deeply meaningful conversations. But actually, a true friend gives earnest counsel today. Remember Moses in Exodus chapter 18, he's trying to do too much. He's, all the people are coming to him. He's giving advice. They inquire of the Lord. He's a prophet. He's to speak. And his father-in-law, Jethro, says, this is nonsense what you're doing. You're going to kill yourself. That's the, the message speaking sort of translation. Uh, what are you doing? And so he, he advises Moses, gives him earnest counsel in which to protect Moses by setting up elders who can also do the job that Moses is doing. In other words, Moses was a recipient of true friendship from his father-in-law. Earnest counsel. People who are really going to try to help you and to speak in such a manner that it is deeply meaningful. And I wonder how many of our conversations with so-called friends are really deeply meaningful. Not only do they give earnest counsel, but they give trustworthy correction. You see this in the earlier part of chapter 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. And I think instinctively we would reject that. But this is God's Word. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Uh, William Thackeray was an 18th century British novelist and he actually said that you should choose uh, to have at least one very disagreeable friend. You know, someone who just is going to disagree and say things and all of that. You know, you don't need too many of those, but, you know, have a disagreeable friend. Someone who doesn't just nod and smile and you're saying all sorts of things and they just do that. They, they're the type that go, nope, 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 nope. Uh, and uh, the point is, is that they can be very helpful. The proverb is saying that an open rebuke is better than hidden love. You should, as the proverb goes in... Uh, popular culture, chide a friend in private, but praise the friend in public. You can speak directly to a true friend. One of the hallmarks of true friendship, as I understand Proverbs, is that something has been stripped away between two persons that usually ends up destroying friendships, and that is pride. And once pride has been stripped away between two people, you have the making of a true friendship. Because when you are rebuked, if your pride has been stripped away and their pride has been stripped away, that rebuke can be exceedingly helpful. So the earnest counsel keeps us from going down the wrong path, but having a friend who offers wounds keeps us from destroying ourselves, but also keeps us from the pride that so naturally overtakes us. Better is open rebuke than hidden love, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
When Nathan went to David, did David experience a wound? Of course he did. You look at the way in which he wrote Psalm 51. You look at the way in which 2 Samuel 12 unfolds and how painful it was to David when he realized after Nathan said to him, You are the man. You are the man. The man that you have just chastised rightfully. You are that man. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But an enemy, a false prophet, multiplies kisses. If someone is only ever complimenting you, only ever speaking well of you, only ever seeking to manipulate you and to control you by their flattery, they are not a friend. Now you may like what you hear and you may want to hear these things all the time, but if that is the only mode of communication between two people, I'm not saying it's ever wrong to compliment. I'm saying if it's only the way in which someone speaks to you, they are an enemy. Because an enemy does what? An enemy has profuse kisses. And that's why Proverbs is so hard for us to really grasp. It goes against our human nature. David says in Psalm 141 verse 5, Let a righteous man strike me. It is what? A kindness. Let him rebuke me. What is it? It is oil for my head. Let my head not refuse it. That's the attitude of someone who has been stripped of his pride and is ready to have true friendships. If you are a proud person, you will likely never have any true friendships. You need to think about that. Because pride will keep you from being vulnerable to another person about your weaknesses, about your struggles. It will keep you from receiving rebukes. It will also put up a barrier where no one will even want to rebuke you because you're the type of person that's going to lash out, hate them, and end whatever small friendship there is. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And once you can cross that barrier, the friendship almost becomes indestructible in a certain sense. I remember getting uh, chicken pox as a kid and uh, I knew something was wrong and my head was itching. I was like, what's going on? And then I found out I had chicken pox and I was taking baths with baking soda. I don't even know what else I put in there, but all sorts of home remedies. But the following week, there was a soccer tournament in Tacoma and I uh, knew there was a certain period where you had to, you know, have chicken pox so that you weren't contagious anymore. So I stretched my chicken pox as far back as I could, you know, wanting to go to the soccer tournament so that I could in good conscience find out that, whoa, the day the soccer tournament starts, I am actually not contagious anymore. And it worked out wonderfully according to my own scientific calculations. But back then as a kid, I found out that if I got chicken pox, I wasn't going to be contagious after having gotten chicken pox and I wouldn't get it again. And I'm not going to say any more about viruses and getting them again and all that stuff. But, glad some of you can laugh. But, I will say this. When a friendship goes through a time when you can be rebuked, and get over that, and know it's come from a place of true friendship, your friendship really does become, in a certain sense, indestructible when you get to that point. 
If you can't ever get to that point, your friendship is on somewhat tedious ground, or it is more of an acquaintance rather than a friend. So friends give earnest counsel, they give trustworthy correction, they also love during adversity. So in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Sir William Temple said that the greatest medicine is a true friend. The greatest medicine is a true friend. And it's amazing when you think about a true friend who loves at all times. And how you can have some friends where you don't even need to see them for years and then you need something and it's as though they'll do anything for you. Or you don't see them for years and you contact them and the friendship just picks up right away. When I found out I was flying to London with Barb and it was early Saturday morning and she had to get from Heathrow to Gatwick but was nervous about that because it's not easy, I phoned up my friend uh, Saturday and said, hey, we're coming to London. He says, what, you're coming to London? You Barb says, yeah, long story. He says, okay, I'm picking you up at the airport. I says, yeah, but Barb needs to get to Gatwick. He goes, perfect, we'll take her to Gatwick and then we'll go to church after. And so I went to church with him and then I saw other friends I hadn't seen for about 15 years and more friends. And the nature of our friendship, based upon when I lived in South Africa, was such that he could open up to me in the car about real struggles he was having with his teenage daughter because he wanted earnest counsel. And he was prepared to love at all times. In other words, once you have a real friend, that friendship is indestructible, whether it's a rebuke or whether it is calling out for help in a time of need, because that's what God does in His blessings to us. He provides friends. And you will need these friends. You should be begging God for friends because there are certain people where you can count on them because they love at all times. They are born for adversity. And it occurred to me actually, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? We're the good people, by the way, okay? Except for AJ. <laughs> I saw him smiling before that about being good, so I wanted to humble him. But everyone in here, except AJ, is good. And then bad things happen to good people. And bad things happen to bad people too, so don't worry. Bad things happen. And a lot of times we, we think, why is this bad thing happening? Did you ever think that maybe it's how God will fulfill a proverb like this. If a friend is born for adversity, is it not important for us to experience adversity at times so that we may see how God has actually gifted us friends who are going to be with us when times are low, not just when times are good? Have you ever seen the entourage of NFL football players who've just signed their contract? The hangers-on? They walk around and they got all these guys and the money's good and life is good and all that and then they go bankrupt and where are the hangers on? They're nowhere to be found because people are fickle. True friendship is friendship in adversity. And God gives you adversities in your life so that friends may rise to the occasion. And there are a few things more precious in the world than when a friend does rise to the occasion in your adversity but something else about friendship 
the importance of godly friends. In Proverbs 13.20, we read, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's not left to us to determine whether there shall be any influence by our friends, but what will be the influence by our friends? As a young man growing up, I received this piece of advice that was drilled into my head by my father over and over and over again. He said, Mark, hang out with people better than you, smarter than you, more athletic than you. Try and find people superior to you in all these areas. Now, naturally, as a young man, I said, Dad, it's very difficult. And then he'd say, you're an idiot. But I noticed what happened around certain friends versus other friends. How quickly you are dragged down by fools. How quickly when you're in the company of those who speak in a certain way, act in a certain way, think in a certain way, you start to take on their pattern of thinking, their mode of thinking. My, my son Josh has this friend and he puts on this fake accent. I don't know why he does it. But it's like this fake British accent. And Josh was, was with him in, in Sweden and Denmark for the trip. And so towards the end of the trip, Josh is talking. I'm like, did you just get a British accent? What's wrong with you? This is your way of getting a Swedish girlfriend. We're going to have to have a talk. But no, actually, he was around this friend so much that he starts to talk like him. And it drives home to me, and it should drive home to you, how powerful influence is in your circle of friends. You will either be dragged down or you will be brought up. Walk with the wise, you will become wise. Walk with fools, you will suffer the harm that inevitably comes to fools. Joash, while he walked with his guardian, the high priest Jehoiada, he succeeded. He was godly. And then his guardian Jehoiada died and then Joash sought the advice of princes rather than priests and he ended up committing idolatry and falling into sin. There are so many examples in Scripture of the people you hang out with will determine how you think, how you speak, what you do. Find godly friends. Now, just by way of application and to close... I have a few points. I don't know if I'll get to all of them. But I will say this. The first point is this. and the Ladies, please forgive me. But I really think there is a crisis for men today in terms of male homosociality. That is, men having meaningful, deep relationships with other men. I'm not saying that women are facing... Uh, no problems themselves. But I really believe, from what I'm able to discern in terms of my own anecdotal evidence upon reading the book by Nancy Piercy, The Toxic War on Masculinity, that men are facing a crisis of not actually having meaningful friendships. They work, maybe invested in their children so much, but time for actual Real friendships is extremely important for a man to experience. 
for a man to be with other men and to have that hearty laugh and, and to, to, to walk down the street, which is near, nearly impossible to see anymore, where you'd see four guys sitting outside a cafe with their espressos yelling at each other and remonstrating and debating and discussing and doing things like that. We've taken away making time for such important things for so many other fruitless endeavors that are of less importance. And there is a shocking, shocking crisis of men who feel very alone. Who feel like they don't actually have any friends, people they can really talk to. And you may be one such person sitting here today where you wonder, who can I actually really talk to? Who can I bear my soul to? When you look at David and Jonathan, who can I experience that with? Now maybe that's also a problem for some of the ladies here. But I know for a fact it's a problem among men. You need friendships. Your wife cannot be your only best friend. You need friends. But also, you need to make sure that every single friendship is mediated through the lens of Jesus Christ because the way in which you interact with the outer circle of acquaintances or the way in which you interact with that person who may be your best friend and everyone else in between has to be through the lens of Christ. It must be through the lens where pride has been stripped away from you, where you have a heart ready to forgive any offense, where you have patience, where you have gentleness, where you have faithfulness, where you have long-suffering, where you have the fruit of the Spirit. True friendships should exist predominantly in Christian circles because that is where true meaning can take place in the name of Christ. And yet, I think sometimes we can be jealous by the friendships people in the world experience with each other compared to what we enjoy. It's not really enough to come in and just shake a hand and scroll on out and enjoy a quick coffee together. The friendships of Proverbs demand much more than a simple greeting on a Sunday. But they demand so much that you can't look at any one person in your life you consider a friend without also looking at Jesus Christ, who at one time called his disciples servants, but now he calls them friends. He counsels them, he corrects them, he loves them during adversity. And He walks with them so that they may walk with Him and be wise like Him. Your friendships will only be truly meaningful to the extent that Christ is placed between you and that person. Otherwise, you will seek to manipulate them, dominate them, use them, abuse them, or you will give them up easily if Christ is not between you and that person. But when Christ is between you and that person, that friendship has all that it needs to be what it truly is, closer than a brother. Let's pray. O Lord, we thank You for Your Word and ask that You will provide for us true, meaningful friendships, that we will not be content with such surface-level acquaintances trying to somehow protect ourselves, but let us understand that we need earnest counsel. We need trustworthy correction. We need love during adversity. And we need godly friends. And we pray that we may receive these gifts from you through Jesus Christ. Amen.